In this episode, I'm going to be sharing my thoughts about the therapy profession, including the body into the process of therapy. My name is Justin Sinceri. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist that thinks the world needs a new paradigm for mental health. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken. This is for my therapeers to think about therapy differently. Even if you're not a therapist, you are absolutely more than welcome to listen in. I think that uh, transparency is a really good idea when it comes to the process of therapy. Of course, this is not therapy and I am not your therapist. This is a response to someone who wrote me a message on Instagram, Libby. So it's a direct response, but it's really just kind of the thoughts that pop up for me. Uh, I am not providing any sort of therapeutic consultation or anything like that. It's my general thoughts for general situations. I'm sure there could be situations where this does not apply. Fine. These are my general thoughts. And I I think this is interesting. I think this this, this topic or what she wrote to me kind of spurred me to go in a different direction. So I'm going to answer her question, but I'm also going to take this in a different direction. And I actually want to start off with that first. Uh, I'll take it off in a different direction after reading what she wrote to me, and then I'll actually answer her question more directly. So Libby from Instagram, she said, Hello, I wanted to reach out and thank you for your podcast. You're welcome, Libby. I'm only seven episodes in. I am a CBT and ACT therapist and struggle myself. There is something missing from these therapies. The body. I am so interested in polyvagal theory, and I'm hoping it will really help me and my clients. I have a question if that's okay. Of course it's okay, Libby. I love questions. Since listening to your podcast, I have been reflecting on how I am not often in a safe and social state during sessions. I'm a bit hyped up and worried about not being helpful. I have been trying to do belly breathing before and during sessions. Anything else you would recommend? Thank you again. I think I've found the missing piece with five exclamation marks. I agree. I absolutely agree about that whole missing piece part. Um, psychology, this, this, I'm going to take this off my own direction first, and I'll, I'll address more what she's asking. Psychology has, psychology has dominated the world of thought, of cognitions, uh, the world of, well, cognitive theory, psychological theory, relationships, behavior. That has been our domain for quite a while. That's been our specialty. And this is how we have been relevant to the world. This is how we've been relevant uh, in contributing, hopefully, to making the world a better place. Thought, relationships, behavior. And we do this through our theoretical constructs. So we have owned the world of mental health. This has been our domain. And really thinking about mental health as a, a lot of times as a thinking problem, as a cognitive, some sort of deficit or behavioral problem, maybe. So we have, we have owned this space and we have looked at things as cognitive and or behavioral problems. And that's been kind of it. We haven't really contributed anything brand new as far as psychology goes, I don't think in quite a while. Now the theories change of therapy or the process of therapy changes, yeah. But really, when it comes down to it, we've traditionally looked at change as a, as a thought problem or a behavioral problem. And as therapy has become more and more relevant, it seems like mental health, I haven't looked at stats, I don't know, but it seems like mental health, especially after and during this pandemic, has taken quite a hit. There's a lot of need out there. So you would think therapies become more relevant. I, I, th- I think therapies become more relevant as mental health seems to be declining, at least to me. And I don't have any stats to back that up, just, just outside looking in. There's also a higher awareness of mental health issues. People are encouraging others to go to mental, to seek mental health help. 
So there's, there's a big need for services to help people change, but not for therapy. That might seem to contradict itself, but it, but it doesn't. There's a need for support. Yeah, there's a need for mental health help. Absolutely. There's a need for people to make change in their life. 100%. Absolutely. So you would think, well, therefore therapy, but no, they need change. They don't necessarily need therapy. And the internet, all this is happening along with the advent of the internet, which has drastically changed everything, right? The internet has made it very easy for other people to say, hey, I can help in my own way. I, I can do this. And so there's plenty of other people who are doing something similar to therapy that don't call themselves therapists. They provide a similar service and they're willing to do, <laughs> they're willing to go beyond cognitions and behavior and incorporate whatever the hell they can in order to prove themselves to establish their own thing. You've probably heard of coaches of all kinds, right? Relationship coaches, business coaches, people, coaches that specialize in trauma. There's all kinds of coaches out there and they're willing to do cognitions. They're willing to look at the body aspects of things. They're willing to look at psychological theory and just incorporate whatever they can in order to make an impact in people's lives. They don't need our theories. They don't need to look at things as a psychological construct. Like they don't need to look at parts of a body, like as if there's some sort of parts within us that are communicating with each other, like a protective part and a child part. They don't need to do that. Psychology has generally claimed those things and saying, hey, this is what we're bringing. Here's how we view a human being and our psychology, and this is how change happens. That's what psychology does, but coaches and other helpers don't need to do that. They can. They can, but they can also incorporate uh, somatic pieces of change, gut health. Uh, they can look at generational trauma. They can take a look at personal responsibility. They can highlight any of these areas, incorporate them all. And they don't have to really worry about all those psychological theory things that we, I, in my opinion, spend way too much time on. But even things like she, uh, Libby mentioned here, ACT and CBT, there's an ACT coaching component out there. It already exists. You don't have to be a therapist in order to implement ACT. CBT has coaching uh, structures or co coaching aspects already. And what I mentioned before about child parts and protective parts and stuff, internal family systems, they have their own coaching apparatus as well. So our relevance, to, in my opinion, dwindles. Because we have been so focused on theoretical constructs, thinking as the problem, or behavior as the problem, and really slow to incorporate uh, somatic pieces of it. Even somatic experiencing from Peter Levine, that's not coaching. I wouldn't call that coaching. It, it's a modality that, that uh, focuses on trauma in particular. But you don't have to be a coach for that. You don't have to be a therapist for it either. You could just be a person who says, hey, I've taken this training. I've gotten this certain level of uh, proficiency in it. And I'm offering my service. And I'm not knocking coaches. I'm not knocking practice, SE practitioners whatsoever. What I'm actually probably more knocking is therapists who have been really slow, like Libby says, to bring in other pieces that could be helpful. Somatic experiencing has been around for decades. That's been around. That's not new. So this information has been out there, the somatic information and how that can be relevant to therapy. That's been out there. That's been out there. I didn't get that when I was in therapy school. I graduated in, I want to say like 2008 or so. That was not 
a an aspect of my schooling at all. I had to learn that after school. Now, I've heard from some students that listen to the podcast or follow me on Instagram that they are getting more and more of that. That's great. But this information has been out there. And yeah, therapy has absolutely lagged when it comes to the somatic pieces of change. So now we're in this position. This is just me going off, really. Now we're in this position to where we are no longer special. Therapy, therapist, I think, had a pretty special role. Psychology, we had, there was a special thing that we did that, to help individuals, to help families, whatever it is. For, to, to help people who needed change. They needed to go to someone, a change agent. We'll call them that. But now change and being a change agent is not exclusively ours. Like, and especially when it comes to the somatic piece of the pie, when it comes, you know, like when it comes to change and the somatic pieces of change, we definitely do not own that. And because it's like, it's just biology. When it comes down to it, it's really just some basic biological stuff. And then accessing that through mindfulness, being able to attach your conscious self to the somatic self as if they're two different things or not, but just conceptually, I'll put it that way. So there's a very low entry point to this. Anybody can do this. And I think that's been part of the reluctance for psychology to implement this more and more is that it's not special to us. Very low entry point. There's no diagnoses to worry about, no complexes. There's no theoretical constructs that you really need to worry about. It's not necessary. There's no, when it comes to the somatic pieces of change, there's really no prescribed norms of behavior. And I think that's something that psychology has really stumbled upon was saying, hey, we know what is the norm of behavior and we know it is not the norm of behavior. But when it comes to somatic pieces of who we are, there's no normal or abnormal, I wouldn't say. I think it's more about what is ideal for survival because it's about survival. When we talk about biology, it's really evolution and survival. So what evolved within us that was more ideal for surviving in those conditions and how does that affect us now? It's not really about here we are the arbiters of normal and not normal and now we are deciding what is normal and not normal or what is normal and what is disordered. That's not necessary. And so our relevance in dictating what's normal and not normal it, it's not really there anymore. So yeah, I can see why there, why, why uh, psychology in general has been reluctant to adopt the somatic pieces of change. That's not about diagnosis. We don't get to hide behind our diagnoses anymore and say, hey, we know. We know more than you. And here you go. We are not the experts on your life. We are not the experts on your biology. And that makes us less special. So yeah, I could I could see why the field of psychology would be reluctant to take on these somatic aspects. And before I said that psychology has looked at thought and behavior. And when we look at the polyvagal theory and the somatic aspects of who we are, thought and behavior, we know, follow the somatic aspects of who we are. And yeah, they influence each other as well. But story follows state. Our cognitions follow what state our body is in, our autonomic nervous system. The behavior does as well. Our behavior is largely dictated by what state we are in and what types of behavior that gives us access to. We don't do pro-social behaviors unless we're in our safety state and we're able to do that. So all the things that we have focused on over the years, I don't think it's been wrong, but 
uh, obviously missing uh, a huge, huge, huge piece. And now that we have a deeper understanding of this huge piece, we can see that, in my opinion, the priority is the somatic aspects of these things and then how they fit into our overall larger consciousness and behaviors, our thoughts, our cognitions. Rather than cognitions and behavior being the priority, it's, in my opinion, it's the somatic aspects of it. It's mindfully being with the somatic aspects, self-regulating on a very nervous system level, and then behaviors and thoughts change. If you're brand new to the polyvagal theory, though, and you're a therapist, I highly recommend you go back to either go back to episode 101 of my podcast, 101 to 109, and you will learn it deep, deep, deep dive into the polyvagal theory. Or go to my website, justinlmft.com, and purchase my polyvagal 101 course. It's two hours video. There's an exam, some questions there to test your knowledge. But it's, it's, uh, it's the essentials of what you need to understand for the polyvagal theory and how it connects to trauma, what trauma really is, and how the autonomic nervous system and these somatic pieces that we're talking about here connect to trauma. If you, In my opinion, if you don't have this right now as a therapist, you are way behind. And in my opinion, you are doing a disservice to your clients if you do not understand these very basic aspects of what it means to be us, to be humans to be mammals, and what it means for us to make change. So polyvagal 101 on justinlmft.com, I think it is absolutely essential knowledge for any therapist right now. So that that's just me, my thoughts I've had in my brain for a while, and this just kind of prompted me to like spit those out. I hope you don't mind me kind of going off a little bit. It's kind of upsetting. Um, it's, it's pretty upsetting to see, to see the state of my profession that I love so much and kind of where we're at. And I don't know, hopefully we incorporate these things faster and continue to maintain relevance. People need change. They don't need therapists. Therapists can be an aspect of change, and I hope that we can step up more. But people will find change elsewhere. So I'm going to go now and look at Libby's question, more in particular, which is about grounding in session. Now, first off, I want to normalize, I want to validate that this is, well, normal (laughs) and valid for us therapists to feel anxiety, or whatever it is, during our sessions. We want to help. We want to be helpers. We want to be change agents, and we want to be effective change agents. We want to be relevant for our clients in their lives. We want to provide a good service. We want to help people meet their goals. So we're excited. We have energy for this, hopefully. But we're, we're excited about our role. We are excited about being helpers, to be being change agents. But we also, at the same time, might be insecure about our own competency. Uh, maybe just insecure, not, not just about our competency and our role, but about who we are as people. We might not have the highest, let's say, self-esteem. We're human. So I'll, I want to reframe this rather than I'm not good enough, maybe, or uh, I'm incompetent at my job. Let's reframe this as I'm excited to help. but. Let's, let's look, at, look at excitement real quick, uh, a little bit deeper. Being excited, in my understanding, requires that we have access to our safety state. So we have that flight-fight energy. We're mobilized. But we have to have access to our safety state in order for that mobilized energy to feel like excitement. If we take the safety state off, if that's turned off, the vagal break. Again, polyvagal 101, you'll learn all about this stuff. 
then it's just like flight by energy. Then it turns into anxiety or aggression or, or something else. If, if you're, if you don't have your social safe and social state active, you drop down the ladder into your flight, uh, sympathetic arousal. So it'll probably feel like nervousness or worry. Uh, you might be more fidgety. You might feel like anxiety. And then what happens is as therapists, when we get more dysregulated, especially if we're in more of a mobile state, we tend to, if like, if there's like, if there's like silence in the session, we tend to have this impulse to fill up the silence. And that's not about the client. That's more about us. And then, especially if there's silence and it's not filled up, maybe, you know, story follows state. So if there's silence, we're already feeling anxious. And then during that silence, we're like telling ourselves, oh my God, I'm failing. The client knows I'm not doing a good job or I'm incompetent or something like that. And they're going to walk out on me and I'm going to lose a client. And now I can't pay the rent. All this stuff's going to go through a, a therapist's mind, you know, story follows state, right? Story follows state. So the thoughts in our mind follow the state that we're in. If you're in a very anxious flight state, your thoughts are going to follow as well. And it's going to be more fearful, more anxious. And then it's going to feed back into your somatic self and just kind of keep it going. It's like a circular, like a loop. So deep breathing, like Libby said, that can be great. That can be great to slow your system down. Uh, when you inhale, you kick your heart rate up a little bit, but the exhale is where it actually slows down and the parasympathetic, the safety state comes on. And that's what we want to do is when you do some deep breathing, fantastic. But if you slow down your breath on the way out, that can really help your whole body slow down. So that, that's a great idea, but mindfully do it. Really notice what it feels like to extend your exhale and for your body to kind of settle and slow. But beyond that, I mean, like really, it, what works for you as an individual? Because I, I don't know, I, 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 don't, I feel very reluctant to say, hey, just do this and you're good. You, you need to be able to listen to what your body needs. And this is something that you should be practicing outside of session. Uh, just identifying what brings you to safety or not. So before, hopefully before a session, then you'll know what state you're in or at least feel what kind of energy you have. And then you'll know this technique helps me when I'm in this state to climb my polyvagal ladder. So you might want to stretch out. You might want to push. You might want to do a jiggle. I don't know, a bop, a sway. So for me, I've done the deep breathing before session, during session. Before session, I'll do things like stretching helps me out sometimes if I feel that. What can also help me, which I've done not before session that I can recall, but like before a live stream or before an interview that I'm going to do I, where I'm being interviewed. There's been times where I'll, like, I'll do push-ups. And it's not because you know I want to make myself look bigger before, <laughs> before the interview, but it's like I just have that tension inside of me. My muscles are tense or my breathing is shallow. So I'll do something physical to kind of help relieve that. And that helps me out a lot. Or I'll do some stretching. Stretches, stretches have helped me out a lot. Usually in this room on the carpet before like an interview or a live stream. Before a session, that's not, I work at a high school, so that's not really something I'm going to be doing, especially on the floors there, uh, stretching out and whatnot. So for me, when I'm, when I'm at the school site, because I, um, I do therapy one-on-one -on -one with adults at nighttime, but in the daytime, I do therapy with high schoolers. When I'm at the high school, what can help me out is doing the deep breath beforehand. But just telling myself, let's go. Like that cognitive kind of top-down approach to it where I'm maybe I am more like wound up. And that's very normal in my, 
in my profession, uh, as far as working at high schools, like there, especially like this, this year has been, uh, there's been a lot of crises, a lot of crises, a lot of panicky kind of at flavor in these students I'm working with a lot of mental health concerns, a lot of grief that we've been dealing with. So, uh, for me, it's like, I already have this amped energy to me pretty often. And so I don't want to slow that down necessarily. I'll tell myself, let's go, let's, let's use this energy for good. And that helps me kind of point it in the right direction. Having more energy before a session is not a bad thing. It's just about, can you contain it? Can you feel it? Can you use it uh, appropriately? If you lose access to your safety state, then it becomes a problem. So for me, having that top-down attitude of like, let's go, or I got this, or F it, I'm jumping into this crisis situation. I'll do the best I can. (laughs) That helps me out. And I have a job where crises, and not just like someone shows up to session in a bad mood, but someone's suicidal or there's a fight that might be breaking out or something like that. And you got to just, you got to like just jump into it and someone's saying, Hey, we need your help. And then you're just like on your way. You don't really have time to stretch out and do deep breathing. You just say, okay, let's do it. And you you do the best you can with that kind of mindset. And that, that works for me. One more thing that I want to say about this uh, therapy, defensive kind of feelings in session. This might not, again, it might not be a, I don't think it's a bad thing. But it actually might be a really good thing, we'll say, because it might be empathy that you're feeling in session. It might not be your own stuff. It could be, but it could also be a clue as to what the client is going through across from you. And that is just a tool for therapy that can be really, really helpful. So if you have like a slight sensation of disconnection, that might be, that happens to me a lot where I feel that like disconnection, that's a clue that my client may be going through something similar. And now you and I, we have to be able to discern, is that my stuff or is that their stuff? And if you have empathy, that means you can feel what they're feeling. But if you have compassion, that means you can feel what they're feeling and you can have access to your safety state. So you you kind of have to discern. You have to to know for yourself what's your stuff and what's their stuff. I, I can't do a course in that right now, but that's the basic idea. Oftentimes in session, I'll have feelings of like tightness in my muscles or in some muscles, or I'll have uh, tension or shallow breath, maybe even like a flavor of panic, sometimes like a disconnection. And what I'll do is I'll use this as a prompt. I'll just kind of gauge, is that my stuff or is that their stuff? And I'll use that as a prompt with the client, like, hey, just to like check in with them about how they're doing in that moment. And I'm consistently surprised at how accurate this can be. It can be super helpful. When I have those sensations of like pressured breathing or shallow breathing, tightness, I can use that as a prompt and, and, and say to the client, like, hey, how are you doing right now? I don't typically say, hey, here's my feelings. Are you feeling them too? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If you can own it and use that responsibly in session, I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily. That's just not how I typically work. But I'll feel those things and I'll say, hey, hey what's going on for you right now? How, how are you feeling right now? And, th- and then bring their attention inward and, say, and I'll be more specific and say, how's your breathing right now? I won't say, hey, I, my breathing is shallow. How about you? But I'll say, check in with your breathing. How, how's your breathing right now, right now? Or how's your muscle tension? Or do a body scan. How are you feeling right now? So these somatic clues, I call them, these can be super helpful in session. And it's not necessarily because you're dysregulated. It might be a reflection of what the client's going through. That's, that's fantastic. So, but you, you got to be able to discern. If it is your own sensation, I don't know. You got to figure out what grounds you. I can't tell anybody else that. For me, the deep breathing in session, slowing my breathing on the way out, that's helpful. 
lot of times just like changing my position can be helpful. If I feel the energy ramping up, leaning forward, especially if the client is leaning forward and kind of mirroring them, that can be really helpful. Uh, but sometimes just switching my position, it helps, helps somehow. I don't even know how it helps, but it just kind of helps. It's just like getting out of my somatic uh, defensive energy in that moment, switching it up, does something, and that's about as far as I can take it. But it, that helps too. Uh, so You could also just like clench your muscles and relax them. And no one can tell you're really doing it. If you're, I mean, maybe neuroceptively they're picking up on it, but consciously no one's going to know you're doing it at least. But you, you can just like, while you're sitting in your therapy chair, just tense your muscles and relax. Tense and relax. Or your calves, your forearms, whatever it is, just sort of subtly do that. And that can be helpful as well. But I also, if, like if you have no idea what the heck works for you, I have a course called Building Safety Anchors. That can be helpful in my opinion. The whole idea behind the course is to help you identify what brings you to safety. And this is, I think, good for even therapists, all right, is to identify what brings you to safety, what helps you to feel safe and more well-regulated. So identifying these things beforehand can help you construct your therapy room to be more of a feeling of safety. And hopefully for the, well, we never really know what our clients are going to feel safe with. It can be some general things, but at least for you, you can construct it to have elements of safety in there for you. The course can help you with that. Uh, the course can help you identify what movements, what thoughts, what helps you to feel more well-regulated. That's called Building Safety Anchors. Again, that's on justinlmft.com. So that is my long-winded answer to probably and probably more complex answer than needed for Libby's question. Libby, thank you for writing me. I'm glad you're liking the podcast. I hope it's still working for you. Fellow Stucknut, thank you so much for listening. And my therapeers, thank you so much for listening. I have all these little nicknames I'm, I'm like sort of accumulating for people here. Stuck nuts, dear listener, therapier. Anyhow, I do hope this has been helpful for you, whether you are a therapier, a stuck nut, a dear listener, or any other sort of nickname I've come up with in the future. Uh, bye. This podcast is not therapy, not intended to be therapy or be a replacement for therapy. Nothing in this creates or indicates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek for one in your area if you are experiencing mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed to be specific life advice. It's for educational and entertainment purposes only. More resources are available in the description of this episode and in the footer of justinlmft.com.